hey everyone so like I said recently today we're going to have a look at the Vikings the Viking Age refers to a period from about 790 to something like um, 1070 so roughly 300 years so the interesting thing is that um, we're referring to it as the Viking Age today but at the time people didn't really talk much about Vikings they would rather differentiate between Danes and uh, Northmen and from what I've seen there are only three English sources that actually mention Vikings specifically during that time so Vikings obviously it was a word that was used but it meant something different specifically it meant pirates so people who would come by water with ships usually to um, plunder they went on raids but of course the let's say Scandinavian um, world was a little more diverse than that and they didn't only raid um, there was explorers they traded quite extensively with large parts of Europe and it's quite interesting to have a closer look at that but before we do that let's have a quick look at the ships that they used So it says here that the Viking ship, of course, was a key factor in expanding their dominions. They most likely used sails, though it's unclear whether they used it from the beginning. In fact, there's one theory that says the word Viking um, comes from uh, basically the term for a sea journey, or it meant going on a sea journey. That was characterized by different shifts of rowers. Vika is the old Norse word for a sea mile, and before our understanding of a sea mile, that would mean the distance that one um, shift of rowers would manage. So obviously, that would have been before they had sails. During the actual Viking Age, they are usually depicted with a sail which must have been quite expensive because of course you had to be spun by hand so it would take a long long time to create this much fabric they also had different kinds of ships depending on whether they would go um, on a trading journey or whether they would go on raids. Their warships were usually long and narrow. The largest warship that was found in Denmark was 28 to 29 meters long and only 4 meters wide. 
it held 20 to 25 pairs of horse and probably had a crew of 40 or 50 men. On the other hand, one of the cargo vessels that was found had a length to width ratio of about 1 to 7 or even 1 to 4 at times, meaning 4.5 meters wide and only 16 meters long. And it could carry a cargo of some 24 tons, so I think that's quite impressive. From what I've seen, Vikings would go on raids and carry out raids sometimes at the same time, which seems a bit odd. But we can see some differences depending on where they went. So let's have a closer look at that. Their home area, of course, would be in Scandinavia. So here along the Norwegian coast, as well as in Sweden, and in Denmark. Now, one theory for the Scandinavians to leave their homelands is that they didn't have enough farmland. However, um, one criticism of that theory is that you would have quite a lot of land here, and of course, these areas weren't really densely populated, so that seems unlikely. We don't really know what the reason was for them to go on their sea journeys. Maybe they were just curious. Then here we see the border between Denmark and Germany. It's pretty much along this line here. And what is new to me is that the Danes did not go further south because they were at war with the Franks and the Saxons and they built a wall here. So, reminiscent of the walls that you would find in England. This one's called the Danework or uh, Danewerk in German. Today it lies in a German region, but it's not too far away from the border. And you can still visit it. I think uh, some routes still follow it and you have the possibility to go on a journey there and to walk along the old day work. It was built, I think, as a protection for the Danes, interestingly, even though these Scandinavians had a reputation of being um, pretty aggressive. So the Franks and Saxons obviously um, were their match. Now on this map we have all of the different Viking routes and we've just looked at the home areas. We also have a number of areas in the Viking occupation and I would suggest that we first go east because this is quite fascinating and a new area to me. So here from the Swedish coast it was of course easy to cross the Baltic Sea 
and you're in a 20 and uh, they use the, the rivers to go all the way to the Black Sea or here further in the north to even go to the Caspian Sea and I hope I have this correctly that this should be the Volga route and this would be the Nista route so they would follow the rivers they came all the way to Constantinople which they called Miklagort uh, Mikl basically meant mighty and Gort is the city, so a mighty city and they tried to suck it at some point but unsuccessfully so Constantinople did earn its name what we do see here though is that we have quite an extensive area that came under Scandinavian influence and that is the Kivian Rus it was sort of a loose federation between different tribes that extended from the White Sea in the north all the way to the Black Sea in the south and it didn't exist for too long but still a few hundred years and it was probably um, founded by a Swedish king he was called Rurik and he was at home here in Holmgård or Novgorod now his dynasty was that of the Rus which is a name that we still find today in Belarus or in Russia there are also some regions in Eastern Europe that have been called Ruthenia which also dates back to that name Rus and this is probably the origin story of um, Russia, Belarus and Ukraine I saw that there are some different opinions over whether it was really uh, Scandinavians behind that but the evidence suggests that yes there were Scandinavians involved although we also see that the uh, Scandinavian influence vanished quite quickly usually what the Vikings did when they settled down was that they assimilated with the local population and we also know that there were some intermarriage here in this area but also in Sweden so you had close connections between Scandinavians, especially Swedens and uh, the Slavic population and of course eventually they also stopped using Old Norse and rather spoke uh, Slavonic in this area the name Bruce probably also comes from a different language that is not Slavic it's probably Proto-Finnic and it means people who row which coincides with the Finnic name for Sweden or for this area where you find the same root um, as in Rus so you know Russia probably also comes from people who row and the prince Rurik 
was sometimes also called a Varangian prince. Varangian is basically just the Greek name for Vikings. And you might have heard that word from another area, namely from Constantinople. There, the uh, Byzantine emperor had his own lifeguard, and they were the Varangian guard. So they specifically called people from Sweden or Denmark, or maybe Norway, to guard their emperor. And that became quite popular uh, to the point where they had a Varangian guard in the Rus, and even in England. And the king of Sweden had to forbid people to leave the country because too many people went off guarding other kings. From here, the Vikings also probably went a bit further. We can see here that they went to the Caspian Sea. They had connections across the Mediterranean. They went to Sicily, to Pisa, Rome. Um, this is probably the area of Marseille. Probably went to North Africa. And we have some evidence that they even went as far as to the Caliphate, which would be in today's area of Iraq. One of the things they did there was to trade, for example, in fur, which apparently was quite popular, even in Iraq. You would think it's quite warm there, and you don't necessarily need fur, but of course the Caliphate also included areas, for example, in Iran, which can be quite mountainous, or in Afghanistan, which can get very cold. So, they definitely traded quite extensively in furs. In general, here in the eastern part, the Vikings were more engaged in trading and not so much in pillaging and plundering. There was something they rather did in the west. Um, we don't quite know why. Maybe there were easier targets here. Maybe there were more monasteries where they could uh, plunder successfully. Whatever the reason, it hit the British Isles and the Frankish Empire quite hard. We can have a look at that on another map. So here we see Scotland, England, Wales and Ireland. And we have a map of the Vikings in the Irish Sea between 800 and 1170. In red we have the main routes from the 9th and 10th century, which would be here. Of course to Lindisfarne which was one of the first monasteries where the Vikings appeared. So these would be from Dublin to York, 867 to 954. 
half back to Norway. And we have from Dublin to Devonport in 9.20. In blue we have the main routes from the 11th and the 12th century. Again from Dublin. Or in the other direction specifically, this would come from the north from Orkney to Dublin. In 2014, we have from Dublin to Bristol. From Severn to the Isle of Wight. We have Vikings from Brittany. This would be 9.13, so this would be a bit earlier. And we have from Bristol to Ireland. And we have in orange some of the smaller routes between that entire time from the 9th to the 12th century. I've already said here Vikings from Brittany. We have from Waterford to Tyne. And from the Isle of Man to Waterford. the Isle of Man to Dublin and back we are from Norway to Anglesey so basically across the entire Irish Sea and we can also say that for example the Isle of Man was colonized by the Vikings. York was also quite an important part for the Vikings. And here in this area, we have what would become the Danelaw. So an area that would come under Viking control, where they started to settle down. So for the uh, people in the British Isles, that was bad news initially. At the start, the Vikings would come via the sea or up the rivers. They would do whatever they set out to do and then they went back to Norway or Denmark. But eventually they started to overwinter and finally actually settled down and stayed there. So the same thing happened as we just said. Here in the east, they settled down, so this would be marked as Northumbria, and began to assimilate. And of course, one region where that is um, quite famous is here in France. We have Brittany here, and this area is the Normandie, which is named after the Normans, so the Northmen. They were given this land under Rollo, who ruled from Rouen. And over the course of just about 150 years, they basically completely assimilated, um, stopped using Old Norse, and instead spoke the same language that the population there spoke. 
So this is quite typical for the Vikings, really, that they completely assimilated. And of course, we know that once um, the Normans took over England, they were using French and not Norse. Which is quite interesting, I think. Generally, these raids up the rivers um, didn't last too long. We don't really know why they stopped. Um, it might be a matter of really people settling down and no one from the north kind of wanting to take over. That um, might have to do with the assimilation, might also have to do with simply um, rivers and monasteries and cities becoming fortified, so it was not as easy to go on raids and come back rich. And eventually it just became unattractive. And then of course there is another way that they went, which is north and west. And I think that's quite a fascinating story too. So, of course from Norway it isn't far to the Orkneys or the Shetland Isles. And from there it isn't far to Iceland either. And eventually from Iceland, we know that some ships went even further to Greenland. We initially there were two different settlements, one in the west and one in the east. Oh, the other way around from what I just showed. And something that when I was a kid was still a matter of speculation has in the meantime been proven. Namely that they definitely also went a little bit further and landed in North America. Right here in Vinland or in Newfoundland. She nodded, I think about it. I think the um, proof was actually found in the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. I can't quite remember where I read that. But I definitely know when I was younger, I was still, you know, you heard about it, but it was always a matter of speculation. Now, one of the interesting things is that the Vikings did not use maps and they did not have a magnetic compass. So, of course, you might say it's not too far to sort of hop from one uh, landmass to the next. But especially when it got foggy, you could lose your way. Or if you couldn't uh, exactly tell which way the wind went, you could also lose your way and not be sure where you would turn up. We do know that the Vikings used a solar compass though, which we can have a quick look at. probably looked something like this, like this kind of disc. You would add a rod and then use the shadow to determine your latitude. And you could tell if you went too far south or too far north, and you could correct your course accordingly. Other than that, Vikings 
probably knew how to read their surroundings so they could tell whether they were in the waters of the Gulf Stream which was more blue or in the waters of the North Sea which was more greenish or brown they also added horse hair to their ships so they could determine the direction of the wind and they probably knew how to observe their um, exact location from the way birds behaved or whales so they knew whether they were close to land or not still it feels like it needs a lot of interpretation which maybe isn't what you want when you're out in the open sea from their settlements in Greenland we don't know too much though there are some ruins that have been found in the meantime it's, as, it's a mystery what happened after 1408 which is when the last wedding was recorded in this church uh, one theory is that the Vikings abandoned this region because it got colder during those centuries so it was harder to live there but unfortunately we don't have any um, sources they can say for sure we also don't really know why they left their North American settlements one assumption is that it was simply too far away from their homelands and it took quite a long time to make the journey one of their settlements that have been found in North America is Alonso Meadows which is a bit of a funny mix of French and English I don't think I've ever seen that in a name and uh, there are about eight buildings that have been found should be here along the coast of Newfoundland they found an uh, iron forge there some dwellings, so people probably lived there also a boat repair workshop and even a spindle and a loom so this suggests that uh, women might have been there too because of course it was important to repair their sails, I assume. All in all, this book suggests that there were something between 30 and 150 people living there, which is about 10% of the population of Greenland at the time, or specifically of the Scandinavian population of Greenland. So, not too many people. Maybe they also used the North American coast to provide food for their ships here in Greenland um, they might have also looked for trading partners which they probably found at least in parts and we also know that they went a little further south because some butternuts have been found there which do not grow as far north as this settlement but again it's unclear why exactly they left Maybe Greenland just became uninhabitable, which meant that this area was too far away and they went back to Iceland, the Orkneys, Norway, Denmark, 
or Sweden and now before we finish up there's just one last map that I think we should have a look at because it's quite interesting this is the Skalholt map which is from the 16th century originally but was redrawn in the 17th century and it shows the areas that the Vikings visited so we have Britain here an island next to it we have the Orkney Islands the Faroes and Iceland we have Norway and then here from the north we get to Greenland Helleland Markland and this part here would be Vinland, which is where Los Ornitos would be located. Vinland, right here. And I think this is a pretty cool illustration. It says, when the Skullhold map is turned and stretched slightly in an east-west direction and this map is placed over a corresponding recent map, the result is astonishing. Regarding America with its peninsulas and bays in particular, the map fits surprisingly well. The map makers probably used information on the voyages of Cabo and his successors in addition to the sagas. The map maker has visualized the geography of the area well. What a compliment, right? So, of course, here um, Ireland and Britain don't quite fit over our modern map, but that's not the part that's interesting to us. We have here the Norwegian coast, we have Iceland. We have here Greenland, which doesn't quite fit, but I think we can see the V-shape in the map. And then, of course, the part that really is interesting is here, the American part, where we can see that it really fits remarkably well. And it's quite amazing to think that at the time Scandinavians had this knowledge on how to cross the sea and how to reach these other islands and peninsulas but somehow it did not translate into medieval maps it took a really long time for this information to turn up which 
if you remember when we talked about the mystery of food, that is an information that despite only being um, made public by one single person from Greece, somehow made it into maps all the way into the Middle Ages. So that connection between map making and actual seafaring at the time was broken. It probably simply happened in two different places by different people. Right. And I think with that, we're going to finish up today. We'll close this book about the mysteries of the Arctic. So, thank you for watching, and I'll see you again next time.